and we'll look today primarily at verses 25 and 26. Considering the doctrine of propitiation, I've entitled this text, this sermon today, The Wrath of God Was Satisfied. The Wrath of God Was Satisfied. Um, Music is something that many people care about. I love music. Um, I have a, a playlist that has a variety of music. Uh, it runs from country, don't stone me, okay? Uh, it has some new age stuff in it. Uh, it has some old rock and roll in it. I don't think you can call anything today new rock and roll. It has jazz, classical, love music. But the music that we sing as believers, it's intentional what we sing. It's intentional the words that we want to express in our singing. Every song should teach us truth concerning the Word of God. That's as we gather to worship. But also music has an effect on us individually. Uh, It matters what the words say and what hope is conveyed in the words. Many years ago, as I was struggling in my mind on a number of things, a particular song kept going over and over in my head. And I didn't sing it to myself so much as I just repeated it to myself. The second verse of God moves in mysterious ways or in a mysterious way. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Oh, the storm that rises, I want you to know. It will break. Those words meant a lot to me at a particular time in my life. The words that we sing together matter. There's one song that we sing on a regular basis in Christ alone. Who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. That's a song that we sing pretty regular here. Not sure if you recognize it apart from its tune. I hope you do because the words matter. These words mattered so much that the authors of this song have been, and and the song itself, has been disputed quite a bit for the phrase where it says, 
till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Keith Getty, and I believe it was Stephen Townsend who wrote the song, were asked by the Presbyterian Church USA if they could change the words to the love of God was magnified instead of the wrath of God was satisfied. And they said, absolutely not. Why? Because those words matter. When we look at those words, they speak to us of the substitutionary atonement, the penal substitutionary atonement. In other words, there was a penalty that had to be paid. And for those who are in Christ, it was paid on the back of Jesus. He took the wrath of God. Those words matter. So no, you can't. And so the 15-panel committee of Presbyterian Church USA voted not to include it in their hymnal, although they had a number of other hymns in the hymnal that speak of the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ. Why does it matter? I hope to give some light to that today. As we look, first of all, at the wrath of God revealed. The wrath of God has been revealed. Secondly, I want us to consider God's grace toward those who believe. I want us to consider God's grace toward those who believe. And lastly, the last point is really the title, the wrath of God was satisfied. So let's think on this today as we look. Uh, we have been looking and seeing how uh, Paul is pouring out this righteousness of God that has been manifested apart from the law, this righteousness of God that comes by faith in Christ alone. And so as we uh, see that he is doing this. He's doing it after he has made known very clearly that all of us need the righteousness of God. All of us need grace. All of us are wretched in our sinfulness. And none of us deserve this gospel, this grace that he gives. None of us. I, I want us to look just for the sake of context and also for the sake of this truth, is look back at Romans chapter 1, verse 18. He says there that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God here we see is poured out, is revealed because of the sinfulness of mankind. 
the wrath of God has been made known against all ungodliness. Paul says in verse 25 that Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, should be received by faith. That word propitiation, it's helping us to understand what happened to this wrath that's been revealed against ungodliness? What happens to that wrath? How is that wrath dealt with on the cross? Paul points out that mankind deserves the wrath of God. The wrath of God is the penalty for sin. It's punishment for suppression of the truth. It's punishment for exchanging the truth of God, uh, God's righteousness for a lie. The wrath of God that is revealed is deserved by all mankind. And God's wrath is poured out on mankind because we worship other things rather than the one who created other things. I think in very many ways we see God's wrath now, and we see God's wrath that's coming. And I think Paul points that out in how people suffered as a result of making these exchanges. They suffered in their bodies. The wrath has an effect now when we live in a way that it's not according to the Word of God. So Paul's going back to that passage, chapter 1, verse 18, when he's talking about this. He's helping us to see what happens with this wrath and why, why is he a propitiation? Well, after showing us how the wrath of God has been revealed and how that has an effect now and how it will have an effect in the future, Because in the future, there's going to be wrath poured out on those who do not believe, who did not trust in Christ by faith. And that wrath is going to be poured out, and it will never cease to be poured out on those who do not trust in Christ. It will be an eternal death. It will be an eternal punishment. I can't even imagine what that would be like. Closest I could come to, I guess, is when I was a kid, my daddy would pull his belt out of the loops. Y'all remember that? Some of y'all aren't old enough to experience that, but he'd pull it, blah, 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 If you've never heard that sound, you can't really comprehend the fear that it strikes in you. 
So from the beginning of that belt, popping through the loops, and depending on what you did, if he wrapped it around his hand, it wasn't going to be too bad. If he doubled that thing up, oh, man. And just so you know, he usually had to double it up on me. And I didn't think he would ever stop. It would only be three, maybe four pops. And it wouldn't be with everything that he had. But I'd think, man, this is never going to end. The wrath of God will not. You will have an eternal body if you're an unbeliever here today. God is going to resurrect the dead. He's going to resurrect those who are not in Christ. He's going to resurrect you with a body that will not die. But a body that will never cease to feel the pain and the torment and the penalty of the wrath of God. You don't come to Christ so that you'll have a happy life. You come to Christ because otherwise you're condemned. The wrath of God is revealed. And mankind pays for it now, and they will pay for it forever. One day, if they are not in Christ Jesus. So often we live as if there is no consequence. I assure you there is. Secondly, I want us to notice the grace toward those who believe. Paul writes, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. One, one thing he's saying there is, it's not new. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And those who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. You know, when we look at this, it's not unusual for people to offer grace to those who are their friends. Matter of fact, we do that on a regular basis, don't we? People that are near to us, people that are dear to us, people that are loved by us, what do we do? We offer grace to them. Uh, we show favor to them. Uh, we let things slide with them. We love the favor that we have. 
receive from others and that we give to others without, and that's what this word is, by the way, this grace, this chorus, without expectation of return. <laughs> I'm going to be gracious to you, and I don't expect you to return the favor. That's grace. That's what that is. We do that for friends. God did it for enemies. For you and me. God extended grace to enemies. There was nothing else to extend grace to. There was no one else to extend grace to except sinners. And so he's, he's pointing this out, and he does it. Uh, he's describing salvation by grace as being applied through faith. And he's spoken of, uh, including today, three ways. Spoken of salvation in three ways. Justification of God's legal declaration of righteousness toward those who believe in Christ Jesus. This legal declaration that they who place their faith in Jesus Christ are righteous, not of their own accord, but that which is imputed from Christ's account to ours. So there's a legal declaration. And he uses another word, redemption, which is speaking of the purchase price. And that purchase price was his son, Jesus Christ. And with that purchase price, he redeemed us. In other words, rescued us. In other words, liberated us. In other words, set us free. He set free those who have been captive to sin. Those who live their whole life in fear of death as the writer of Hebrews puts it. And then lastly, he describes what God did on the cross with this word, propitiation. All three of these words describe God's removing our sin. In justification, justification he declares us righteous on the basis of of the righteous advocate, Jesus Christ, in redemption, he breaks the power of sin that holds us and liberates us to walk in righteousness. But Paul expresses that this grace presents God as unjust because sin, instead of being punished, has been removed. Look with me. At verse, the end of verse 25. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Look at verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith. In Jesus. Paul gets a lot of questions. 
concerning the righteousness and justice of God as he preaches the gospel. We'll see that unpacked more and more as we go through Romans. As they rightly understand grace. And they show, shall we sin so that grace will abound? No. But here we see that this propitiation was, had a purpose. And that was to show God's righteousness, to show God's justice, to show that he is just. They think of grace as God taking away sin and the punishment. And consider, is that right? Is that just? It would be unjust for a convicted murderer to suffer no consequences for his actions. All of us would think. So what is this propitiation? This is where this comes into view. That the wrath of God must be satisfied. That it's necessary that sin that has been committed must have a penalty applied to it. Now there are many who think differently than that. You know, if the sin's removed, well, why is it necessary to have a penalty applied? Because it would be unjust not to apply a penalty to sin. So what is propitiation? For the sake of time and in context of where we are, I'm going to give you a very... Simple definition. Propitiation means a sacrifice that turns away wrath. So it's important to see both there is a sacrifice that satisfies and it effectively deflects the wrath of God or even, if you will, absorbs the wrath of God and it being satisfied. It's a sacrifice that appeases God's just indignation and covers our sin. Wayne Grudem defines propitiation as a sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end and in so doing, changes God's wrath toward us into favor. <laughs> Christ suffered the penalty of our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. The uncondemnable 
was condemned, if you will. Took on the wrath, was punished. That's what that word means. He took the penalty that we deserved on himself. But why? Why did God do that? You ever read in Isaiah where it says, and it pleased him to crush him? Why? Because of this. Because of the redemption. Because of the wrath satisfied that was deserved because of the sin. So Paul actually tells us why. He says that God put forward Jesus. By the way, that was purposeful. It was premeditated that he would be put forward. It was purposed. It was planned that he would suffer for sin and satisfy the wrath of God. So he was Put forward, it says, as a propitiation by his blood. There's the sacrifice. To be received by faith. It's the only way. And then listen to the next sentence. This was the show. Here's the purpose. Salvation is not just about saving you and me. It's about showing the righteousness and the justice and the goodness and the love of God. Salvation is more about the glory of God than it is about you. And so he said, this was to show God's righteousness. He's talked about saving people, but he's saying... This is to show God's righteousness. This is to show what he's like. Now, that word righteousness, same word as justice or just. And just is probably the better word to translate for our thinking. It's a word that speaks of what is right and what is good. What is just? But that word just or justice better fits contextually in what Paul is saying. God is right to punish sin. He would be unjust not to. See, I can use those words somewhat interchangeably, if you will. God had not simply forgiven sins and forgotten about the punishment in generations past. And that's what's going on here. Uh, it says, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. He had passed over former sins. We know that God forgave 
in the Old Testament. Abraham believed God. And what does it say? It was counted to him as righteousness. He's used as an illustration of one who did not come to salvation by works, but came to salvation through faith. Which is what Paul is talking about here. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham sinned. Y'all realize that, right? There had to be some penalty for that sin. God forgave the sin, but those sins had to be punished. One of the things that Paul is pointing out is that God, in his forbearance, didn't punish those sins then of Abraham, of Moses. Certainly they died because the wages of sin is death. But instead... Those sins were punished on the cross. Just like our sins are punished on the cross. And so what does he say? He says that in his divine point, he had passed over that. And they wait a minute, that's not just. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. So on the cross, the fury of the wrath of God was poured out on Christ. He'd forgiven sin, stored up his righteous anger, and when Christ was on the cross, poured out his wrath on his son. He took our sins, bore them, and took on himself the penalty of the wrath of God. The penalty was paid by Jesus. You see, the penalty for your sin has not merely been waved off. Someone stood in your place. Jesus bore it and absorbed it. And the wrath of God Satisfied. What does this mean to you, maybe in here today, that are unbelievers? Many claim to have no fear of God or His wrath. I don't think that's true. I think they're just being tough guys. But they don't fear God. Let me tell you what, what, what is there when there's no fear of God. That kind of thinking leads 
to a lack of wisdom in life, which leads to a lack of morality, which leads to a, and, and, and a lack of ethics and a, a lack of doing what is right. The beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. Yeah, I don't think you ought to be talking about how we should be afraid of God. I'm not afraid of God in the sense that I think he's going to destroy me because Christ has bore my sin. I do reverence him knowing and revere him knowing that he is worthy of that. But unbelievers, you should be afraid. Because the wrath of God has been revealed. Unbelievers, you should know the fear of God. Because a day is coming when you will be judged by your works. You live as though there are no consequences to your sin, and I assure you there are. There are consequences now, and there are consequences to come. The wrath of God is still on you if you are not in Christ Jesus. But look what he did. He put forward his son. He put forward his son to pay the penalty that you deserve, to serve the sentence that was yours. And if Christ is not your substitute, if Christ is not your Savior, if Christ is not your Lord, you will serve the sentence yourself. And it will not end. But the love of God, the righteousness of God, it's been shown. It's been revealed. Here it is. He loves you, sinner. And he calls you with the gospel every time you hear it. I don't know that he loves me. Man, I got all this stuff going on in my life. Look, that's not the measure of whether he loves you or not. <laughs> the measure of whether he loves you is the cross. Not how bad things are for you. Not how hard things are. The measure of God's love is that he gave us his son. If you're not a believer, I plead with you. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Believe and repent. He will save you.
How does this affect believers? Any believers out there? There is no penalty due. That's good news. Anybody drive on 49 up there on, uh, on, uh, uh, in Tyler? And y'all get those little bills in the mail? And they find their way to the bottom of the stack and then you get a pink one? And find out it costs you $10 to drive three miles on the loop? And you forgot to pay it. They're not going to let you forget there's a penalty due. Right? There's no penalty due. You deserve it. But God said righteous because you believed on Jesus Christ. And in believing on Jesus Christ, that penalty or that price that was paid, redeemed us from the power of sin. He breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. And there's no penalty. You're not going to pay it back. You can't. There's no penalty to pay. Christ paid it all and took it all on himself. All the sin that you've ever committed, all the sin that came down from Adam on you, all the sin that you're going to commit today, and all the sin that you're going to commit in the future has been paid for in full, And all the penalty that you deserve, Christ took and satisfied God on your behalf. That kind of makes me happy. That kind of sets me free and liberates my mind. It helps me to know as I walk and fail, He forgives and has paid the price. And as I walk and walk in obedience, I do so not because I'm great, but because He is and He transforms and He sets us free. Another song that meant so much to me back around 2013 was one that just gives reassurance over and over and over again. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. The water and the blood from thy wounded side doth flow. Be of sin. The double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. 
We have sinned the double cure. The last verse of that is so wonderful. Rock of Ages. It says this, while I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown. I'm getting excited thinking about it. How about y'all, huh? Uh, okay, not so much. Okay, but anyway. When I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. There's that judgment throne. But here I am hidden in Christ. Oh, what satisfaction. Oh, what assurance. What joy flows from that. Not only in the day to come when we'll be with him forever, but in the day now. And that joy is not dependent upon how good your life is. It is dependent upon how central and how wonderful and how good the grace of God is in us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for great and marvelous hope. Hope that's not a byline or something on a coffee mug. Hope that's not mere optimism that is unknown but hope that is real in Christ Jesus hope of eternal life and hope lived out knowing that everything all my sin and all the penalty Jesus Christ did and took on the cross. And Father, I pray that you would let that truth penetrate our souls and let that cause the liberty, Lord, that you've called us to. And when I say liberty, God, I, you know what I mean. I mean liberated from sinfulness. Liberated from the bonds of sin. And let us live toward your righteousness. Oh, we love you, oh God. And we thank you, Lord. That you have set us free. Not because of what we have done but because of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.